Welcome everyone to The Healthy Sensitive, a podcast for highly sensitive people who want to follow their capital P purpose in life, lean into leadership, and avoid burnout and keep their vitality and their health intact. I'm Leah Burkhart, a burnout coach who works with sensitive leaders and empathic executives to keep doing their important work without losing their marbles. I'm also a writer, a reader, a TED Talk junkie, a health educator, an animal lover, a super nerd, a self-identified HSP and introvert, and of course, the hostess of the show. Uh, It should come as no surprise to any of you that a person who records podcasts also listens to a fair number of them. And in today's episode, I had the privilege of speaking with a longtime podcaster, musician, and coach who also works with highly sensitive people. If you haven't heard of him yet and aren't familiar with his work, I highly recommend changing that just as quickly as humanly possible. His name is Andy Mort. He's been a host of the podcast The Gentle Rebel for a number of years. He has a plethora of resources dedicated to highly sensitive people, and in particular, highly sensitive creatives. He has a newsletter, an online community, and he's a fabulous coach. He works with people who want to become aware of and connected to their deepest values. He helps them relinquish and reframe beliefs about their limitations. Uh, He'll help you to you know, do more of what you want to be doing and less of what doesn't feed you. So basically, he merges his expertise as a creative and his highly sensitive nature to help other creative and sensitive rebels to design a life that looks like them. You can download his podcast, again, The Gentle Rebel, anywhere you access your podcasts. You can also find him at his website, www.andymort.com, A-N-D-Y-M-O-R-T. In our conversation, we cover a number of topics. We talk about the challenges and celebrations of entrepreneurship, especially for HSP entrepreneurs. We talk about the difference of work-life balance versus work-life integration, or as he remarks, disintegration. More on that in the show. Uh, We talk about the delicate balance that comes with marketing in a way that produces results, but also is in alignment with our values, um, creating sustainable workflows when we are our own boss, self-care, and a number of other topics. Really, I cannot rave about this guy enough. So again, if you listen to him speak and decide you want more, find him at andymort.com or listen to his podcast, The Gentle Rebel. Okay, that's enough of my jabbering. Let's go ahead and launch in. It's really lovely to be speaking with you again. Welcome oh, back to the Gentle Rebel podcast. Thank you so much. It is so lovely to be speaking with you. I appreciate the time. It's great. Yeah, how have you been? Um, I feel like the uh, we're all in a place where Charles Dickens really ends up being of service here. It's like it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. <laughs> it was... <laughs> Um, you know, when he goes that, that back and forth, it's, I feel like that's where we're all at, you know, or, um, there was a song 
that someone recently played for me where it was, I'm not happy yet, but I'm a whole lot less sad. Um, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like that's kind of where it's, I've, I better, I think, ish, good, mm-hmm. I think, maybe. <laughs> We're all in a holding pattern. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So well s- summarized. Yeah. What I mean, have you have you found anything has gone particularly well, or like has mm. opened like the the whole last year has opened up any possibilities in some way for you? Yes. Um, you know, I, I'm sure you've heard this a lot from folks. I almost feel guilty. My life didn't change that much as a result of the pandemic. I'm a pretty introverted person. I love people and I love my people, you know, my people in my community. And also I really love being able to go home and close the door and recharge and, uh, you know, so in terms of things that changed in my life, there wasn't much, but I do think having a pass was really lovely. Like just nobody was they outed as being introverted or, you know, or um, antisocial because everybody had to do it. And so it really allowed me to feel like I got to flourish a little bit in that regard. And in terms of insights though, I think the word that comes up is priorities now and what's uh what was the kind of insight around priorities <laughs> um you i guess the word simplify comes up i know we've talked before about minimalism and you know I, i'm definitely someone who feels the pull in two different directions um there's I, the analogy i use is one part of me is a wolf howling at the moon so ambitious, curious, I want growth, I want to try something new. And then there's another part of me that just wants to be slumbering under a willow tree somewhere. And I think this time really highlighted that for me, that it magnified the two impulses, so it was much easier to see. So I noticed, for example, I would go after virtual coaching positions that would be, you know, so that I could complement with my work that I do at the hospital. And then very quickly realize, what am I doing? Why am I adding more work during a time when, you know, the bandwidth is already so low? And so then I'd have to sort of backtrack and then, you know, I'd I'd go after some other new shiny object. And so it really kind of forced you, given that we were all spending so much time alone, it kind of forces us to look at our own reflection and spend a lot more time with it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I think the... um definitely resonating with with what you said about that sort of um, enforced or the, the kind of pass element of being able to just be yourself and not even feel the pressure to socialize or that that kind of sense of like I've got to balance my energy this week with like social engagements that maybe I've been invited to this and that and it's like no, there's none of that. It's really quite refreshing, <laughs> yes. um, which now makes it slightly difficult, or the, the challenge returns as as lockdowns begin to uh, well, you know, restrictions ease and and everything returns to some sense of normality, whatever that mm-hmm. kind of means. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, and I, we'll get into some of the um, yeah those elements of, I guess the as you say, almost like throwing your hook out and like 
pursuing those ambitious things and then realizing oh what am I doing I've already got <laughs> loads on my plate um because I mean yeah I really wanted to kind of just talk to you about um entrepreneurship and and running a business as a you know you're the the, the healthy you've kind of run the healthy sensitive and and how we hold the personal uh, elements of um, high sensitivity and and healthy sensitivity and also when you're working on your own or working um, you know on kind of entrepreneurial things and in a business how you how you I guess nurture a healthy business and nurture a healthy relationship with that business mm-hmm. um, so yeah I'm kind of really looking forward to diving into some of that stuff we've had a, a little mm-hmm. bit of back and forth uh, before just kind of yeah getting excited about <laughs> what we could talk about so um, I think I, I was kind of wondering about the the place to start and I thought um, motivations is a mm-hmm. is kind of a, a good jump off point um, and maybe just start with like what motivates you in your entrepreneurship and in your business I think the word that comes to my mind is actually growth. So I, you know, and we had talked about how, you know, of course there's the desire to help people. So I'm trained as a coach, uh, a wellness coach as well as a life coach. And so naturally there's a, a yearning to be of service. And in terms of, but that can manifest in any sort of ways. I, I can be of service as a volunteer. I could be of service as an employee. And so entrepreneurship is something that makes me very uncomfortable because, you know, when you're an employee, you can be the advocate for uh, an employer's policy. You can be the defender of their regulations or their protocols. But at the end of the day, if someone doesn't like it, you internally at least get to kind of shrug your shoulders and say "Eh, above my pay grade (laughs) not really like sorry take it up with the big guy (laughs) i just work here whereas in entrepreneurship that's you know you can't turn around and go like oh just hold on let me get the manager it's like nope (laughs) you be the manager (laughs) so it's an uncomfortable space to hold and i am terrified of it but also drawn to it because it's an area where I get to push myself and grow in ways and sort of see aspects of myself I wouldn't otherwise get to see. And so, um, and then of course there is the monetary potential, you know, whereas in a workspace where you get a paycheck that is, it's consistent, but there's a ceiling on some level. And in entrepreneurship, the only ceiling is that which you put on yourself and that which the consumer market puts on you, I suppose. But, so I think those would be the two biggest elements is the potential for personal growth, as well as the potential for, you know, well, three things, service, growth, and then potentially monetary gain. How about for you? Yeah, I think it's it's kind of the same. I mean, um... Yeah, I really like the the way that you've kind of put that, that you brought that sort of. You talked about the, the self exploration and personal development being kind of quite intrinsically linked with growing a business. And you know, it, like there's so many aspects of it that I find very uncomfortable and um, 
you know, we've spoken before again about the expansion of capacity zone. Um, and I know Beth Bilo, um, I really appreciate what she wrote about that and like, le- like kind of almost letting go of that, that notion of expanding your comfort zone and replacing it with this idea of capacity zone. Um, and that's something that I've always held with me in thinking about my business because it's like you, you're growing and you're expanding your ability to, to cope with different things that, that you're kind of dealing with. Um, I guess the, the other thing I would maybe say that motivates me is, is the kind of the wider aspect of, um, I guess, working with individuals and thinking, okay, the, the world changes in positive ways where our culture is, is kind of influenced by individuals um, and that, that sort of, I guess, the growth outwards of people with good values <laughs> um, kind of infecting, so to speak, society. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that is, that's a, an element as well. Um, but definitely, I think that the one that, that I've worked with most for myself and often find myself working with other people on is the whole, the self bit, the personal motivation. So that the, how is this actually going to help me create, like design a life that I want to live mm-hmm. in, in that sort of sense? Of, and you talked about the monetary gain like that. I think that's a hard part for people. Um, yeah. And it's... I think it's easy to get it's easy to say like I'm doing it because I want to help people or because I want the world to be better or whatever Um, but there is also got to be that that other part the personal part why is it compelling to you personally yeah well in seeing monetary gain as a part of making it sustainable you know and that's I can I'm nodding vigorously because that monetary part is rough for me because especially if you're at least in my experience entrepreneurs tend to go into areas that they're naturally inclined and interested in so they might have a passion for making shoes <laughs> like so you know like phil can't remember his last name but uh, with nike um yeah. you know like there was some element of interest in that thing and so there is a a tendency for folks in this, wherever they happen to go, whether it's I'm, I'm I love coaching, so I'm going to try and be my own coach, be an entrepreneurial coach. There's the a willingness, I guess I'll say, to do the work even if not getting paid. And in fact, I've noted this with a number of entrepreneurs, even contractors, where it's like, man, I don't want to have to send you the invoice. I'm, I would rather be working. Like doing an invoice is 30 minutes that I have to take away from an area of my life I'd rather be putting my energy into. So I think there's that element too, where it's like people would be even be willing to do some of this work for free. And that's part of what may have drawn them into it. And so then to hold up that boundary and say, no, but if I don't ask for payment at some point, this will not be sustainable. Like if I don't eat, there's no me to do the work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's really, that's, I'm just, just trying to think the, um, because there's that sort of cliche line, isn't there, of like, what would you do if money were no object, or you know, what would, like, what would you do even if you weren't getting paid for it? Um, and it's almost the opposite of that, isn't it? Where you kind of, well, I'm doing it 
despite the fact that I'm afraid of asking for money or like I, I would, do, I am doing this anyway. Um, and I suppose I do need to kind of get paid for it. Mm. Um, yeah, that, that's interesting. I think that's, that's so true that when you're passionate about something or you find that thing that really you just want to keep doing, you, you like, you know, I've, I've found it definitely with music as well. Um, but it's like, no, I will be playing music whether I get paid or not. I will be writing songs. Um, and it is the the side of it that then the kind of admin or the monetizing of it becomes a bit of a pain and it becomes a, yeah, it's definitely not the reason that I do it. Yes. <laughs> it just gets in the way. Yeah. Well, have you ever read uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic? I have, yes. I, I remember her talking about a number of creatives who don't, like, what they have a day job or something that's bringing in the bacon, and then their creative enterprise isn't, at least at first, not the thing that people rely upon to pay the bills. And it, the impression I got from what she was writing is it almost puts too much pressure on this very... Uh, potentially fragile thing you know creativity can be fragile especially when beginning the enterprise sort of like when you grow a plant you know that little budding plant you want to be careful you don't want to send it into a hurricane and so knowing when it's robust enough to sort of say okay now I'm going to rely on this a little bit more to potentially be a source of income I'm sure there's there's a really good indicator somewhere, but I don't know what that magical switch point is. Like, I don't know where that threshold is, where it's, okay, not good, not good, and now we're good. So, and whether it's coaching or whether it's, you know, writing songs, that's a creative arena that you're, you're yeah. occupying. So then t- I, I hear you 100% where it's like, I'd be doing this anyway, so how can I justify charging for it? It's like, well, be because food is great and I want to be eating it multiple times a day and yeah. you know the elements exactly. and are... it's that sustainable thing as well isn't it yeah. exactly yeah. yeah it's like it's it's the way to ensure that you're going to be able to do more of it yeah mm-hmm. and have more time to do it as well well and yeah. I also am intrigued by the fact that I got you know the more and more you get into you know reading about entrepreneurship and from people who do it exceptionally well and by that I mean particularly in the monetary realm it's sort of you know there's there are a, a number of people who are more willing to pay for a thing if it is more expensive which just boggles my mind so it's almost as though when you as an individual come up and say, no, this is my value. This is what I'm worth. I know that what I have to offer is valuable enough that I have absolutely no qualms with charging this amount of money for it. People can sometimes respond with, oh, well, if you think it's that valuable, there's got to be some there there. So maybe I'm willing to fork up the cash versus if you say, no, 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 it's fine. Um, You know, we'll work on it. Well, can, you know, whatever you can pay, it's almost, it almost puts the other person in sort of a position of, well, if even you don't think this is valuable, maybe this isn't a valuable expense of my time either. So never mind. Yeah. It's, it's very strange. It's, uh, it's really, yeah. It's a really interesting kind of psychological thing of, because there's also the, there's aspects around desire, isn't there, within that? Mm-hmm. Like, and actually desire increases when there's more of a, an obstacle to you getting the thing. So if, 
<laughs> if you're uh, so that might be a, a price tag on it it might be i don't know all sorts of things i suppose like scarcity in terms of time so like i can so if i'm coaching yes i've got I've, i can only coach this number of people at the moment so i'll have to put you on a um a waiting list and as soon as it, a spot comes available then then you're in and then that suddenly becomes more desirable because it's not as easy to get hold of mm-hmm. um and I mean, that can be manipulated, obviously, by <laughs> by people who, you know, we see it all the time in the kind of, I guess, more toxic marketing strategies and stuff. Yeah. But it's also something worth bearing in mind when we're, when we're having those conversations of like, actually, desire is important. Um, and allowing people to desire the thing that you have made because you believe in it um, is probably quite an important factor as well. Yeah, it's almost like exclusivity becomes an attractive feature. Um, And not in the sense of, you know, we don't want to accept these people, but it's more of there's power in saying, if you want to join this tribe, here's the criteria. Like, this is who we are. Do you resonate with this? And the more specific and clear you become with regard to, well, this is who I am and this is who I want to serve. Sort of like when people talk about narrowing your niche, so to speak, it's yeah. there's an attractive quality to that because there people do want to be part of a tribe, and I think it was I think is it Dunbar's number where they talk about, you know, human beings are only really capable of staying in in true connection with about 150 other humans, mm, yeah. and so there is a desire to feel like I'm a part of something like ooh this is you know oh yeah I'm part of this club or I'm part of this thing. And I think when marketing is done well, that's what it provides for people is a sense of, oh, that's who you are, me too. And I now want to join in that movement. And then the yeah. thing that helps facilitate the joining might be the product that you're serving. But, and yes, I agree with you. Sometimes it can be used in a really toxic way of, oh, you better hurry because, you know, get it while it's hot or, oh, there's already been this much interest or there's only this much space. and. Yeah, it's very interesting, and there's, there's, I think someone once said the the bigger the tool, the greater the shadow, and that's definitely true with marketing. It can be a great tool, but it's got a hefty shadow. That's nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've not heard that before. That's good. Um, yeah, and I mean, this kind of I think leads us into boundaries quite um, effectively as well. You know, kind of. We had a, a little, you know, a back and forth kind of talking about bringing boundaries into entrepreneurship and what that looks like. You know, you've got the, I suppose, two sides to it. There's the, there is the kind of the charging part, the mm-hmm. expectations between you uh, as, um, you know, entrepreneur and your clients, like what are the expectations, payments, agreements, that kind of stuff. And then there's also personal boundaries for you, like knowing when to stop when to rest you know again it's a a lifestyle that has it's kind of infinite (laughs) there's always more to be done so it's how you get those boundaries in place um and and what those boundaries look like i suppose so yeah what what kind of uh thoughts have you got around the different boundaries we need uh well the first that comes to mind when talking about boundaries between other people is uh the idea of assertive communication so 
uh, you know, the, the classic styles of communication that people talk about, there's passive, which is you matter, I don't. That's the classic. What do you want to do? I don't know, whatever you want to do. <laughs> Um, I've been in many of those conversations. Yes, especially when you're, you know, between introverts or HSPs, where the yeah. classic sort of, well, yeah, I'm good, whatever, you know. I don't mind. Yeah. I don't mind. Whatever you want to do. Yeah. As I like to say, I'm irritatingly neutral. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's, of course, aggressive, which is, I matter, you don't. So it's like, this is what we're doing. Um, passive aggressive, which is, I matter, you don't, but I'm not going to own it. So it's the, mm. sure, we'll do whatever you want. We always do anyway. Uh, and then there's a certain the resentment. Yes, exactly. That you can feel it like bubbling under the surface, and yeah. there's the, the the snake in the grass. That's it. And then assertive is I matter and you don't, or excuse me, I matter, you matter. And now let's negotiate and find a way, you know, in the middle. And when engaging in conversation with people, there are those I've seen who communicate very assertively, and it's like watching someone dance on the ballroom floor. It's really elegant and, you know, it's it's when someone asks for a favor and the person responds with, no, I'm really sorry, I can't do that. No explanation, no excuses, no, just, no, I, I would love to help you, but I'm in a position where I cannot. It's like, oh, man, can you bottle that? <laughs> and what I find is when I'm being exposed to someone who can communicate assertively, I feel more at ease. And so it's almost like you've got to take that, or at least I have to take that, and think about all the different ways that might manifest. So when I'm communicating about payment, the more clear I can be about expectations and how it looks, the easier it will be for the person that's listening to be able to say yes or no. Versus if I'm wishy-washy with it, sort of, I don't know, what what do you charge? Well, I don't know, what can you pay? It's like, well... What? Okay. (laughs) Or if I'm too aggressive and sort of like, no, this is how it's done. So there's there's a middle spot there. So when creating boundaries, or as Brene Brown would say, it's like what is okay and what is not okay, and just being Mm -hmm. really clear about it. And then in terms of taking that into the personal space, then I have to have that same conversation with myself: what is okay and what's not okay. So it's okay to do X, Y, and Z. But if I go too far, I know myself well enough to know I'm going to have to dial back and it, it'll be, it's sort of like when you talked about the capacity zone. Yeah. And I think what Beth did nicely is she talked about how sort of like a rubber band, if you tug too far too fast, the thing just snaps. Mm-hmm. And so I think if I don't hold healthy boundaries with myself, that's in essence what happens. Like I've, I got really excited and I went full throttle and pull too hard too fast, the thing snaps, and then it's like, oh no, I've got to start from scratch all over again. <laughs> yeah. And so knowing that yeah. sweet spot of sort of like a workout or, you know, the right kind of burn, you know, mm. just that right kind of place where I'm, I'm pushing enough that it's engaging. And so figuring out where those boundaries are for myself seems like a full-time job. And then being able to take that out and do it effectively with other people, it's like, oh, that's, for me at least, where the work is. Some people are inherently fabulous at it, or at least they appear to be. And I am not. (laughs) I'm working on it. (laughs) But I think that that kind of they appear to be is the important part of that. Um, Because, you know, I I think uh, to me, you probably appear to be good at that and, (laughs) you know, just having that awareness and 
um, that you're kind of to constantly iterating or like working on um, how to be more aware of the boundaries you need for yourself and in constant constantly practicing implementing boundaries in that kind of professional capacity as well it looks like you know <laughs> you're good at it <laughs> thank you <laughs> um, and so yeah I think almost starting from that place of nobody's ever going to get it perfect like nobody's ever going to be completely delighted with everything that they do in that sense um, but it's just that that constant yeah iteration and awareness learning okay what, what what worked well that last time what could I have done differently and, and that kind of thing is, is quite helpful um, yeah. but yeah I think and that point of actually it doesn't serve the other person at all and it doesn't serve the partnership if you are wishy-washy about things like I guess the, the the kind of general contract or agreement that you are entering into together in coaching or, or whatever it might be um, because you both need to know what's expected you know where what what do I need to do in order to to make this happen and stuff like that as opposed to right the other person's just like asking me for what they going want going around in circles <laughs> yes yeah. yeah and it's yeah. I think that was you know, some people just have these nuggets that are so great and Brene Brown's full of them, but she talks about that word resentment. And, you know, as soon as there's resentment, I know there's a boundary that I didn't keep somewhere and that's on me. And I love that because there are times in my life when I felt that resentment of like, God, I feel like someone's walking all over me. And then I have to pause and go, okay, well, if they're walking all over me, let me check and make sure I don't have a welcome mat out here. Like, did I put that on my person? And generally speaking, more often than not, yes. <laughs> Most people are not psychopaths. They're they're just being. They're not trying. They're not in it to get you. They're not trying to. They're not out for you. <laughs> you're not gunning for you. They're just being. And until you're clear and say, whoa, 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 there was a line and you just crossed it. You know, most people, most of the time, when you say that, in my experience, they back off and go, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, okay, good. Mm. I, now I know. That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I guess, yeah, thinking about, especially the sorts of people we work with as well, mm. it would be, yeah, they're, they're not going for you. They're not, <laughs> they're not out to get you. Actually, yeah. your, your sort of, uh, your niche is very much the opposite of that. So mm. when you experience that resentment, um, you know, and I, I think that's so well put, like that, it's on you. Yeah, the, with that moment where you feel like I can't believe they haven't read my mind, and they, <laughs> like, yes. yeah. I could probably identify the moment where I had an opportunity to establish some kind of expectation or boundary, and I bottled it, or I just thought, ah, oh, they'll, they'll get it. Yeah, <laughs> they'll well, work it out. And I will say, we do get spoiled in our, you know, in our circles. I imagine because there are a number of people who probably do not read your mind, but you know, there, there's a lot. A lot of the folks we work with are being extremely attentive, and so it's all and very accommodating. And they're they're out looking for, you know, hey, how can I? I want to make sure I don't infringe on whatever it is, you know, whatever your boundary might be. I'm going to try and intuitively identify it before you even have to speak it. Because I know mm -hmm. I really hate having to speak it. And so if you end up spending most of your time with that group of people, it can almost, again, it, you can almost get spoiled. <laughs> That's really true. Yeah. And I, get, it's a, I suppose a group of people as well who probably have a more 
overt sense of responsibility for things that are not necessarily their <laughs> their doing or their fault. So yeah. it would be no, I should have I should have been more like yeah, assertive with asking for something or mm-hmm. or whatever rather than they should have. So is there an area you can think of that when thinking about boundaries you feel you're really strong in like maybe you've been working in one particular space and you're just like man when it if in this context I find that I tend to be able to hold a boundary really well I don't have any it, it feels really uh, fluid that's a very good question um, I t- I don't feel like <laughs> I don't feel like there is <laughs> I'm sure I mean there are mm-hmm. um, but yeah, coming trying to think of what that what they what they are is, is quite. I mean, one I've certainly been working on since kind of qualifying in in my coaching through my coaching diploma is is the whole right establishing quite firm um, kind of packages of of what mm-hmm. I offer, and um, I think there would have been a temptation at an earlier stage to to kind of. Be like okay let's custom let's come up with something bespoke for you and and we'll work it out completely you know on pretty much on your terms um mm-hmm. but then i think that that whole idea of that doesn't help the other person it doesn't and it doesn't help you um it's quite helpful and and that's that has been really really helpful in terms of yeah establishing a boundary and and letting me know where i stand or the jump off point for me in that. Yeah, how about you? I I can relate where it's just like, is there any one area? Uh, Let's see. Um, I would say the one area that I tend to be best at of the options is probably as it relates to my personal health. So as an example, I tend not to schedule very many things late in the evening. I spent an absurd quantity of time in my life struggling with sleep. I can remember having problems with sleep as young as, you know, pretty much as soon as there was enough consciousness that had developed to know that there is a me, okay, to be able to say, I am Leah and I am a human and all of that. So I would say five or six years old, I can remember having problems with sleep. And it wasn't, you know, I'd go through long stretches where I'd sleep just fine, but it was just very easy for it to get knocked off course. And as anyone who's ever had that challenge knows, you know, it always cracks me up when people say, oh, well, maybe it's because of depression. And I had to constantly say, no, I'm a happy creature when I get sleep. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's only when you take that away that I become a depressed mop. <laughs> so, yeah. And so it took the better part of, you know, a couple of decades to really fine tune practices so that I could reliably get sleep, which is a game changer as soon as that's available. And so I've gotten much better at uh, knowing for myself when there is uh, that capacity zone is being stretched too thin. I'm pushing too far, too hard, such that I'm about to break because I think I've broken that rubber band often enough that I know the warning signs now. And so when it's about my personal health, because I've I've spent so much time on it, I've gotten better at just saying, yeah, well, here's a boundary. And a really great example is uh, a friend of mine went to, she was having a bridal, sh- not a bridal shower, a bachelorette party at Disneyland. And I was a bridesmaid. So 
I was invited to go, and naturally that's the right thing to do. And she said, yeah, we're all going to be sleeping in the same hotel room. It's going to be great. It's a suite. It's in the park. And I said, oh, my sweet, sweet little sunflower. (laughs) No. (laughs) And most people, especially in that circle, were delighted because, you know, it's Disneyland and we're going to have fun. I said, oh, dear me, no. I mean, first of all, theme parks are exhausting and exciting, but exhausting. And there's no chance I'm spending the night with six other humans and certainly not six other females like no um and it was hurtful on some level for my friend to kind of hear well wait you don't want to be a part of this and it was just a boundary it's like this isn't negotiable i need to have a quiet space and i am a (laughs) like i am a grown woman i get to have my own (laughs) hotel room now (laughs) yeah i was gonna Uh, say what was your what was the kind of contingency for you did you did you just have a room to yourself in that situation yeah because it's like I know I'm capable of doing the thing that you want me to do like that's a little bit out of my comfort zone to spend that much time with that much stimulation going on all the time but I can lean into that aspect of me that loves novelty and likes to play and that's fine but I need to have some place where I can recharge that battery because that battery is going to be sort of like a smartphone that's been You've been playing podcasts on it, and you've been searching, and you've been doing Zoom calls on it, or whatever. That battery gets bled out much faster, and that's fine so long as there's an energy source you can tap into. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good example of a of holding a a boundary because you've got the you've you've got the purpose for having the boundary. You've got the the thing that is important, which is you know, being there for your friend, you know, doing doing that thing, which is absolutely like integral to that relationship and to your position within that kind of bridal party, whatever. Um, and so it's then having the awareness to think, okay, I am certainly not gonna have fun <laughs> if I'm <laughs> exhausted. Um, how can I make this work for me so that I am able to show up in the way that I need to for the rest of the time, like what what are the parts that might need to be compromised um, in order for me to be most effective? I suppose is um, yeah, which would be sharing a one room with <laughs> a load of people. <laughs> yes. that, that's not the the most important part, probably. Yeah. No, or at least it, I certainly would hope not. And yeah. and translating that into business. You know, when I see that and sort of figuring out, okay, so now how do I translate that into the realm of entrepreneurship? I will let you know as soon as I get there. <laughs> but it's, it, <laughs> it is the challenge. So I absolutely hear you 100% when it's like I'm trying to create a coaching program and a package where it's very clear. It's easy to explain. So it would only take a, a short little snippet or soundbite to, to say this is what I do and this is what it looks like. And then feel very solid about, and this is what it costs. And then just yeah. stop yeah. instead of justifying it or... And I suppose, and again, coming to, coming to the, the customization, which would be, um, you know, I, I will go to Disneyland. I, I just need to have my own room. Like there's a, it's almost like the, with the coaching package, it's finding the, tr- the train tracks along which you're, you're moving so that you're both moving in the same direction on the same path. And then the customization comes out of that. Like it's it's not your go. I'm feeding you through some you know sausage maker 
that is the same for every single person that I work with. It's like, no, the, this bit is the same. And then it's all completely bespoke um, from there. Um, the important bits are bespoke. These other bits are part of the package. Yeah, is... they, they help us get there. Yeah, that is such a great point. It's almost like, you know, especially when thinking about creativity, imagine if you get an art teacher who comes in and says, just produce a thing. I just want you to produce a creative thing. And it's like, well, what do you, yeah. do you sculpture, painting, like, drawing? I, I need more information. Versus <laughs> when a teacher says, here's a blank piece of paper. You all have an eight and a half by 11 blank piece of paper. Uh, you have some paints in front of you and go ahead, go to town. Well, now, yeah, everyone's going to produce something very unique to them, but there's enough of a really clear frame where it's, oh, okay, now, I'm, I, now I know what we're doing here. We're good. Yeah. Versus, and while it can sound enticing, like to just say, do whatever you want. We'll make it happen for you because you're a special little snowflake. It's like that, it's almost the paralysis of too many options. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And I think you, you see a lot of businesses working that way of like, you know, customizing, say you customize a car, you've got the frame of, you, you, you have the car to start with, don't you? And it's just the, some of the features that you get to customize. Um, and then if you really, really want to um, do things on your own terms, I'm sure you can spend a huge amount more money and get something else changed. But like, yeah, that, that whole the whole th like you're drawn towards it because it you know the fret you know the shell of the thing and that helps you as a customer yeah. um have something to get the foothold in to start with so yeah i know from my perspective as a as a client or a customer i like that when i'm working with other people so <laughs> but that's a funny thing often the thing i know i like when i'm working with other people i forget when i'm <laughs> trying to sell something to someone else Yep. It's almost like I'm trying to, to muster up the courage to be disliked because ultimately what I think it comes down to, I'd love to say that it's because I'm just such a, a, a altruistic person and I want to be of service. But the reality is probably closer to it's very uncomfortable to do something that might incur wrath or dislike even from another person yeah. and to hold the line. And so I'd rather just bend and be nimble and be sweet tempered because then how could anyone dislike me? And so mm -hmm. my desire to be liked now has superseded the comfort of the other person. And so mm -hmm. it, I can make a case for, well, it's just because I'm such a great person. I'm so sensitive and sweet and you just don't get me. And it's like, oh no, yeah. no, I'm just, I, I'm just being kind of selfish. I want to be liked more than I want to help you. Yeah, there's almost an element that you can you can turn it around on them as well <laughs> like it's probably an unconscious well if you don't if if this doesn't work for you then that's your own fault because you know we did it on your terms <laughs> yep exactly and i it's something i've i've started to look into especially with the group that you know again when you say if i say i generally work with highly sensitive people especially those that are you know again they're ambitious but and they want to go after their big dream but also they don't want to exhaust themselves and figuring out where the sweet spot is. Um, you know, highly sensitive people in particular, I find uh, that, like I said, everything's got a shadow side and the shadow side for myself that I've identified, I don't know if this is universal yet, 
uh, I call it toxic sensitivity. <laughs> um, but it's when either of these two things manifest, it's one, I'm sensitive and therefore I can't. So I'm hiding behind a label and saying, see this label thing? I'm almost treating sensitivity like a diagnosis. Yeah. Or I'm sensitive and that makes me special and you just can't get it. You know, you're less than, oh, you're a non-HSP, which even in the language of some of the books about it, it's like, oh, you're one of the non-HSPs. You're a normie. I get it. It's like, whoa. <laughs> so anytime either of those two things start to surface, and it's not like I consciously say to myself, oh, I'm better than you. But if that sort of experience comes online within me, that's usually a sign for myself. But it's like, uh-oh. I better be careful here because I'm either hiding or I'm trying to say like, oh, oh, you just don't get me. It's like, nope, yeah. it's not their job to read my mind. It's my job to speak it. Yeah. Yeah. That is often the the default response when something goes a little bit wrong. Well, like, you just obviously don't understand. You don't get me. You don't get me. Yeah, you don't just get like what when, I'm really about here. Exactly. <laughs> just like when you lose something, it's like, who took my keys? <laughs> Oh, I probably Always just someone lost else's them. fault. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I really wanted to, yeah, get into the you kind of talked about sort of work-life balance slash work-life mm. integration, which have become kind of obviously during the pandemic massive things with people working at home and um, I guess being on top of each other as well. <laughs> like you know, people might have been already working at home in in their business or whatever and then suddenly they find a, a spouse partner is in that same environment the kids are there like everything you know you, there is no uh distinguishing between work and life um mm. yeah. What, yeah what's kind of your take on all of that i mean there's definitely pros and cons i i see the and there's almost i've even heard people say they have a, a yearning for work-life integration and I feel like HSPs in particular have uh, a temperament that lends itself well to the potential for that. To you know, so as an example, I think this is part of why a lot of HSPs have a, they're drawn to entrepreneurship on some level because they're capable of being wildly productive. And it's like when they get you know when their energy is high and they've get a good idea and they're excited by it. I I use the analogy of a smartphone all the time. You know, like a flip phone. For those of us who even remember, you know, us, there's some youngins who don't even remember life before smartphones, but, yeah. you know, you could dang near, like, run over the thing and it would still function. I mean, it was, it was a beast, but it only had a certain amount of functionality, whereas HSPs are sort of like smartphones. Like, they've got a, a lot of functionality, but unlike the flip phone that you could leave uncharged for seven days or more, smartphone, you got to charge that sucker every day. There's, with no exception. Otherwise, you just have a pile of junk. And so because of that, I feel like, you know, HSPs, if they have like a work-life integration model, so it's like I can get up at 6 a.m. and if I have this burst of energy, I can knock out two hours and achieve that which the average person on the average day might have taken five hours to do. But then by 8 a.m., it's like, okay, well, I'm tired. I'm going to... that. that that was my burst of energy. I'm going to go take a nap. 
and then go for a walk and then maybe meditate and go to the gym. And then right around 12 p.m. or 1 p.m., it's like, well, now I'm, I'm feeling like I'm, I've got some energy back. Now I'm going to write some things or, you know, put something on social media. And they'll do that for an hour or so and then leave and then come back. And so if there's a work-life integration model, there's the ability to to work in accordance with whenever their productivity is high, their, like their, their capacity is high. Uh, but the downside of it is like the up, it's almost like this. The upside is you can work anytime, anywhere. So go for it. The downside is you can work anytime, anywhere. So you better be always working. And so I think it, the, the downside of that, it can be, well, if I can be working, I should be working. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is the, that's a really good way of putting it. And that, I think that, downside part is probably where we get sort of drawn more towards isn't it like the the idea of that work-life integration and um you know the the kind of image of almost like an agricultural life like working on a farm you know and and the rhythms of the rhythms through the seasons of life kind of comes to mind as a that would be like a a lovely picture of work-life integration and you know you you get up and you do whatever you do early early in the morning like milk the cows or whatever uh-huh. um and then uh you know you, you that that little chunk of work is done and you you have a, a rest period and whatever that rhythm might look like mm-hmm. you know, obviously you'd be designing it for yourself um but that just does not that it does not really unless you're really good at kind of holding firm to boundaries in that way like that does not come to fruition because the temptation is always there because as we said earlier there is always more to do Um, there's always something else you could post on social media there's always someone else you could reach out to or engage with in some way and yeah and and even if you're not doing that the kind of it's there in your mind it's there in the back of your head like oh I could I shouldn't be resting on the other things I should be doing. Oh yeah. And so, yeah, that's, I think the, um, when I was kind of reflecting on what, what we're sort of throwing back and forth and, um, the, the phrase work life disintegration <laughs> came into my head, uh, when it came to, uh, you just kind of talked about whether you can go on vacation and, you know, you, like the, the, the fact that you've got your smartphone there and you can, fire something off onto your uh, you know business instagram account or business facebook or whatever um and and the fact that you're sharing the sharing of certain personal bits and bobs is a part of your so-called branding or whatever um, within your business and and so that yeah i think that it's almost the disintegration of of boundary of the boundaries between things um which can obviously have then an impact on other parts of your life so, life like important relationships and things and and your ability to truly you know i miss the days of going on vacation and not just completely switching off not having any idea what the news was like i remember we used to go on holiday as kids two weeks so we'd go from sort of england to france or whatever um and you wouldn't see a newspaper you wouldn't hear the radio you wouldn't have any clue what's going on anywhere and (laughs) not only that that made the holiday feel a lot longer it made it feel more refreshing um and it just yeah there was just something 
really beautiful about it. Well, and you you said beautifully when you were talking about the the idea of like the, sort of the agricultural life where there's a lot of there's a bit of work life integration there, but there's much like the difference between me. Leah as employee and me, Leah as entrepreneur. As an employee, there are boundaries that the institution I'm working within is holding up for me. And I think that's probably true with agricultural life. Like the environment was holding up a boundary for them. You legitimately can't do certain things once it gets dark. I mean, I suppose you could bring a flashlight and milk the cow at midnight if you were really ambitious, but and even then, you have to adhere to the circadian rhythm of the cow. So mm. it's almost like you don't have to. The risk of work-life disintegration is much lower because you're, the boundaries outside of you are still maintained on some level versus now where, yeah, you, we have this technology where you 3 a.m. you can pull out your phone and someone somewhere will be awake and potentially could respond to you. And mm. someone somewhere is awake doing work and hustling i'm putting in quotation marks because and it's like well if you start to get into that particular rat race it's like there's always someone that's going to be going faster than you and you've got to keep up there's that's the mentality that can come online and yeah it used to be when we go on vacation there was an external boundary because you just legitimately didn't have access to your phone your phone is at home you can't and even if you pull up your cell phone if you left the country, your service may have disconnected. I mean, I remember I was, what, 22, 23, and I traveled to Ireland for holiday, and I had a cell phone, but I couldn't use it as soon as I left the U.S. I mean, I suppose I could have, but the service was just severed. Versus now, if I travel anywhere outside of the U.S., I could still access wireless and connect with people on Facebook. And so it really is all on us to create those boundaries. There's no, we can't lean on any external element. That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. I love how you've, you've put that with that sort of agricultural metaphor and, and then, yeah, the the fact that it's, it's all personal responsibility when it comes to creating boundaries. And not only is it personal responsibility, but on the flip side of that is this, pressure to be hustling to be keeping up you know and that that constant anxiety that's just there about well if i if i like take my foot off the gas now i'm gonna fall behind and other people are gonna get ahead of me and and that that combination is such a well a toxic recipe like yeah yeah and and the idea that because obviously there are apps and there are features in apps that allow you to, you know, turn them off or like you can put airplane mode on or whatever it is, but it's always down to you. It's always like your own, like, you you can't win because (laughs) either you're expected to be turned on um, and like integrated into things, or if you burn yourself out, people will be like, well, why did you allow yourself to do that? Like there's, there are ways to, you know. Yeah, didn't you, didn't you watch that latest webinar on burnout and all and positive psychology and all that? Like, didn't you see that latest TED talk that talked about how important it is not to burn yourself out? What's wrong with you? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, oh man. I think I'm gonna be uh, <laughs> reflecting on this one quite a lot. Yes, That's really too. cool. Yeah, and I mean, I, just got sort of a few minutes left but I really wanted to just 
go into the uh, like obviously talked about health and the idea of business health and how that relates to personal health I, I think you, you kind of asked the question of um, when uh, like when bus- when the business feels healthy does that have an impact on our personal health um, and vice versa I suppose so where do you see that as a Currently, I hope this changes um, because currently as it stands, for me to get my business health, you know, sort of to feed the business health, I generally find that I'm having to give up some of my personal and physical health. And so it's a, it's sort of like looking at a balancing beam and there's business health on one side and there's my personal health on the other. And I'm just trying to balance the two. Uh, I know people, though, who say that their personal health improves alongside their business health, which I think is fabulous. Uh, when I figure, when I hack that particular algorithm, I will let you know. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's, and I think some of it has to do with the level of um, beginner's mind I'm in as it relates to entrepreneurship. So it's almost, it's sort of like that stages of uh, competence. So there's unconscious incompetence, I don't know what I don't know, and then conscious incompetence, at least I'm smart enough to know how dumb I am. <laughs> and then there's mm-hmm. conscious competence and then unconscious competence. And maybe once you get so sort of into a groove with entrepreneurship, the two are complementary. Um, but I'm probably somewhere between conscious incompetence and conscious competence, where it's like, I'm smart enough to know, get it, get, I'm getting better at asking the right questions, but that doesn't mean that it's just flowing. And um, so I don't know, is it for you, is it similar? Do you, do you, is it a, two things on a balancing beam or are they complementary? Yeah, well, I, th- I, I just thought um, I've had moments, of, I, I guess it, it's almost like a, not boom and bust, but like ebbs and flows of, because ah. um, I was just thinking when I, launched my um, return to serenity island course back in march like it had a really nice launch and things were going really really well and that gave me a boost in mm. terms of like yes great like i'm i'm almost kind of walking on sunshine so yes. to speak and and that really had a positive impact on my on my personal health and and just mm. things felt lighter and i was able to like move along really nicely um and then as that sort of tailed off the the kind of stodginess returned a little bit and and so it's almost like okay i need to there almost needs to be more of that balance beam where it's it's kind of oscillating in in a more healthy way rather than big highs and or, or like i don't know boosts and then little crashes not at this that extreme like <laughs> that comes across as like massive but <laughs> no but i i at 100 get it and i've there've as you were speaking I, there have been times in my life where i can identify with that where it's whether it's a class that i've designed and people have had positive results from it or they've their people have come in it's like woo, there is a high and so it's almost yeah. like what you're getting at the heart of is how do i fall in, so much in love with the process that the outcome has less and less of an impact one way or the other. It's like, yeah, if they, people love it and there's in it, it's a great launch, then great. But that's not the thing that's riding the high. It's almost like the process itself and the work itself is so juicy that that's the thing feeding you, as opposed to no, I'm doing this thing and it's it's 
requires energy, but man, when I see the outcome of it, it can sometimes give me a high. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's it, totally. Yeah. Yeah, and it, I, I guess to come sort of full circle to almost where we started is that, that idea of sustainability again as well, like it comes to mind of the those those kinds of, I guess those ebbs and flows that come through if you're launching things and um, you know, however you sort of work, whatever your business model is, like for me, it's probably going to be that sort of yeah thing. There's moments of launch and um, and then moments where that tails off. But if that's kind of moving, I guess nicely sort of oscillating through, that then enables the sustainability of, I guess, the rhythms of of the work, the, the kind of general day to day work. So everything has a has a nice sustainable rhythm um in conjunction with that awareness that we've talked about of of the boundaries that we need and and ensuring that yeah it's not work you know burn the candle at both ends to keep the candle burning (laughs) yeah i mean maybe it's sort of like going to the gym and working out you know it's at first every time you go to the gym is legitimately painful and just burns energy and you know that at some point it's going to feel great. And then there's a, a, a threshold that's breached where suddenly going to the gym has a pull and you don't actually care. It's sort of like when you're like, if you're trying to lose weight as an example, oh, I got on the scale and it felt really good because I'm losing weight. And so that gives me even more energy to keep doing the thing. That's it, yeah. But a, at a certain point, there's almost this threshold that gets breached where the exercise itself becomes the reward. And the weight is almost superfluous. It's just like, I don't really care that much what happened to the scale. I'm just in it for the high of the doing itself. And just like you're talking about sustainability, that doesn't mean there's ever a point where you should go four or five hours. I mean, unless you're an Olympian, but you know, if you go to the gym and just really crush your body to smithereens, it's still going to be unhealthy. Uh, but, But if you can find that balance, that becomes a source of energy in and of itself, irrespective of what happens as a result. Yeah, good point. Yeah, and it's, I suppose it's that moving along to, to find that that balance and that sustainability as opposed to getting all of your, all of your meaning from what that scale says when you get on it, because that you'll just replace that with something else that then could become this, this constant external measurement that you're striving after that mm-hmm. can take you down quite sort of, I guess, unhealthy growth, kind of an unhealthy relationship with with measures of growth um, yeah. that are never attainable because there'll always be something yep. yeah, never more be extreme. Too, yeah, never be too rich or too thin, as they say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Um, well, I mean, that hour's gone so fast. I Thank agree. you so much for, uh, for hanging out. We'll, we will definitely have to do this again and finish the conversation because <laughs> there's so much more to talk about. Um, but before we go, is there somewhere that uh, you'd like to kind of point people towards? Sure, yeah. So if anyone's interested in the work that I do, uh, my website is uh, com. And so once you get there, you can pretty much navigate to whatever is of interest, whether it's my podcast or my blog or the online community that I do or coaching. Fabulous. Cool. Well, thank you, Leah. Thank you. This was fabulous. Thank you so much for your time. It was a joy. Mm -hmm.